Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. Guess what I saw on On Demand this week? I can't even begin to guess, Hollister. What did you see? I saw Baby Driver. Remember we talked about... Oh, I thought you'd seen it before because you're such an Ansel Elgort fan. I am an Ansel Elgort fan, which is why I'm bringing it up. So what is it you do? I'm a driver. You have to see it for him. He's just unbelievably talented in so many ways. He dances, he sings. He is funny in a sort of, I don't know, kind of way, you know, like subliminal humor, sort of in your face, not in your face. Oh, like a chauffeur. Anyone I'd know? I hope not. It's clever, it's funny, it's stressful, which is always good, right? Anyway, Ansel Elgort is truly an up-and-coming actor that I think in 10 or 15 years we're going to be talking about him like, I don't know, like somebody, somebody's mama. I mean, he's just amazing. I don't even think it's going to take that long. I mean, he's already been in some big movies. I'm so impressed by him every time I see him on a talk show, in a yes. movie. Go Ansel. And we had a lot of input this week. Do you want to start us off? I mean, we I did. Know. Okay. Yeah. I cracked up when I saw the note from Diane about Mother. She said, many thanks for reviewing Mother. I was kind of, sort of, on the fence about seeing it. The state of the world right now has brought me frighteningly close to requiring anti-anxiety meds. I'm pretty sure watching Mother would have sent me over the edge. Well, it sent us over the edge. I don't know why it wouldn't send her over the edge. I read a couple follow-up articles about Mother. One was a very funny interview with Michelle Pfeiffer, where she admitted that the first time she read the script, she didn't understand it. And she said, look, it was esoteric, you know, code for a little opaque, but she was very intrigued by her character. And what stunned me is you probably saw this, but J-Law backed out of doing The Rosie Project to be in Mother. And that was a book that I loved. Of course, oh, I, it's an I Australian author. Was she supposed to do The Rosie Project? Yep. Oh. Ryan Reynolds is rumored to oh. be starring in okay. it and loved that book. But what was interesting to me is even though Mother got all this marketing, it surpassed The Exorcist as the most successful R horror movie of all time this past week. I saw something. There was this... The president of the World Clown Association, Pam Moody, actually issued a statement around, there's a word for it, calrophobia, where you're scared of clowns. Apparently, real Mm -hmm. clowns have been losing work because of this movie and also the original 1990 TV miniseries. Stephen King is putting people out of work. (laughs) With all due respect, I mean, the guy's frightening. Anyway. And then I'm sure you saw the recommendation from Janet from New Jersey, the former history teacher, who recommends a film called Visroy's House. It stars Hugh Bonneville from Downton Abbey and Gillian Anderson from The Fall, done by the same director who did Bend It Like Beckham. I am to be the last Viceroy of India, and I shall carry out the role with great pride. You're giving a nation back to its people. How bad can it be? You're in the future. We are. Then let's not make a mess. She also mentioned that her middle daughter, who's now age 42, is still petrified of the Wicked Witch of the West riding across the sky in The Wizard of Oz. 
And she saw Wait Until Dark at Radio City Music Hall during the Christmas show when the tickets included the Rockettes as well as the movies. That was in the 60s. So, And she said, it scared me to death. Great choices, ladies. So thank you for that, Janet. Speaking of the Downton Abbey cast, Val brought to our attention that Good Behavior starring Michelle Dockery season two returns October 15th on TNT. You know, I had to go back and start watching some more episodes from season one because we did review the pilot once I heard that Anne Dowd was in it. We're going to find this guy and he's not going to get away this time. There's another new series coming out with Joanne Froggett, who of course played Anna on Downton Abbey. Hmm. And I hope we review that next week. It's on Sundance TV and it's called Liar. Well, I don't, you know, there's so many things to review. There's a lot of things that, you know, Little Sheldon came out this week. The spinoff from The Big Bang Theory? Uh-huh. Well, it's a spinoff, yeah. It's Sheldon when he was when he's young. Um, and The Brave came out this week. That just launched. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of, of, of TV coming out this week, and we have to talk about what we're going to do next week. So lots to talk about for sure. And did you see where Amy Sherman Palladino and her husband Daniel Palladino just signed a multi-year deal with Amazon? I did not. First, they bring us the Gilmore Girls reboot via Netflix. So their Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which we also reviewed, that was the first Amazon pilot to receive a two-season pickup. So not only are they going to do that for Amazon, but they're going to do a couple new series as well. My life fell apart today. My husband left me. I have to leave. I don't understand. You. I have to leave you. (laughs) You should do stand-up. And this isn't a show that I watch regularly, but I was just kind of stunned. NBC is gearing up for yet another season of Saturday Night Live. Hollister, do you have any idea which season this will be? Is it their 50th? You're very close. It's going to be the 43rd. Yeah, it's right up there. I knew that. Yep, your guy yeah. Ryan Gosling is going to host, yeah. and Jay-Z is going to be the musical guest. Um, yeah, you know, Saturday Night Live is actually, in my mind, Saturday Night Live's popularity is always reflective of the politics of our time. So when politics is rich in dissent, then Saturday Night Live does well. And we're certainly at that moment in time when politics is rich in dissent. Hilda was the first person to make fun of news anchors. Now it's done all the time. And of course, I laughed at everybody as long as it wasn't me. Hello, I'm Baba Wawa. Uh... I mean, I watched some of it, but not a big fan myself, so. We also heard from Maria. She sent us an article. I'm going to post the link on our social media and on our site, screenthoughts.net. Big Little Lies and 20 Other Must-Reads by Reese Witherspoon. And you and I have talked about what a literary dealmaker Reese Witherspoon is in Hollywood. This list includes at least three books she plans on turning into films. Well, I hope she plans on turning a lot more than that, but yes. She's one busy person, right? I mean, you know, she's fresh off of home again. She doesn't have to be in all of them, you know. She can spread the wealth a little bit. Yeah, a little produce it in your sleep. But Barbie and Ruth... Ashley's War and Luckiest Girl Alive. Have you watched? Any, have you read any of the? Have you read any of those? I'm actually reading Luckiest Girl Alive right now. Mm-hmm. Well, we mm-hmm. are the luckiest girls alive. Did you know that? Oh. <laughs> well, I don't know if I want to be compared to this character. I just started, and Reese says it was the most nonstop, nail-biting, crazy train of a book with one of the most intriguing characters I have read in a long time. Huh. Is that an endorsement or what? How psyched must Jessica Knoll be, you know? Well, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, if that's what she says, I can't wait to read it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which now leads us 
to our movie this week. Yes. I'm going to give a little intro. We both saw Brad's status this week, and I was never a Ben Stiller fan until Keeping the Faith. Did you see that movie? I never saw that movie. I saw, you know, excerpts in the trailer. And when I realized that he had the chops larger than that ridiculous, silly stuff that he did, and judging from his performance in Brad's status, um, he should leave silly to those with less talent than him. You know, he he makes this film, but really what makes this film in my mind is the script. The screenplay for this film is is one of the most stellar things that I've ever heard. Mike White wrote it, and he also directed it. But here's the question, the burning question I have for you right out of the gate. You don't like it when there's voiceovers that tell the story. You like the action on the screen to tell the story. And a good chunk of this uses that technique. Did it bother you when you were watching Brad's status? Voiceover actually doesn't bother me. And there was quite a bit of it here. At night, my mind drifted back to college. So many friends have become successful. Craig Fisher worked for the White House. Jason Hatfield had his own hedge fund. Billy Wurstler sold his tech company at 40. What do I have? I work for a nonprofit and nothing to show for it. (laughs) Hollister... I thought this movie was so tedious, and I liked Ben Stiller early on in his career. So I remember when he played Winona Ryder's boyfriend in Reality Bites in the early 90s. So, you know, I knew that he could play serious, but his character I thought was so unlikable. I thought maybe this is a karmic payback from when we reviewed Friends from College. And you thought that those characters were so unlikable. Here, I thought, okay, Ben Stiller plays an insecure, self-wallowing, play the victim. Oh, boo-hoo, I live in a really nice house with a really nice wife who, shoot her, even likes his spaghetti sauce, heaven knows why. And he has a kid who seems so much wiser than Ben Stiller does. You know, they're so well-to-do, in my opinion. They take cabs, not the subway, without even blinking. And the entire movie, all he can do is complain about how he's not as wealthy as his four friends from college. Oh, I didn't see it that way at all. And I went with, <laughs> I went with another friend, and we were disquieted through the whole thing. I was so uncomfortable. I was on the edge of my seat uncomfortable with the stress of his angst that sits through the entire movie. It was a combination of a million things happening at one time that if any of them happened in an isolated situation, he would never have reacted that strongly. But combine them all together, the fact that his friends all got together without him, that that he just happened to see them all on TV and they were doing well, 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 and then he watches his son, who he thought he knew, but really he didn't even know that his son was considering Harvard as a, a possible, um, you know, option. It was just a, it was just a combination of a perfect storm of all things happening at one time that sent him off the deep end. No question, off the deep end. But I thought that the writing was so good, and it was so insightful. You know, I've often said that a, an unexamined life is is you know it's not worth it. I mean. I, I don't understand people who don't look back and reflect. I think the rearview mirror is smaller than the windshield for a reason. And I think you basically spend most of your time looking forward. But I think it was this moment in time where he had time to reflect on some of the decisions he made that changed the trajectory of his life. 
uh, compared to some of his friends. And I totally understood it and felt it. And so did my friend. We left saying, well, there was something that was like, okay, got to go home and journal about what you have and haven't done. I just thought it was so beautifully written. And certainly for a generation uh, of people who have a lot of time left, it was a good moment to stop and reflect and say, okay, what do I want to do differently? And really, how do I take a moment to appreciate what I've got now? I I just thought it was brilliant. Well, I'm glad you got that out of it because I thought, what a peon to white male privilege. I mean, at the very beginning when he's still doing his voiceover and, you know, Mr. Self-Pitying, I don't have a private plane. And I thought, I thought you were supposed to be Mr. Into the Environment. Last I checked, a private plane is not exactly going green. But when he's thinking, oh, maybe it's my wife's optimism and good nature that curbed my ambition that, by and the way, success. That, we, uh, the entire theater, which was full, laughed out loud. <laughs> you know, that he was going to blame. I wanted to. He was going to blame his own, <laughs> his own inertness over twenty years on the fact that his wife thought he was good enough. I mean, it was absurd, but it was supposed to be absurd. It wasn't supposed to be taken literally. I, I don't wanted. Think. I wanted to shove him off the Mass Ave Bridge so badly. And I thought, okay, so you started a not-for-profit, which was your choice, but you expect it to run off the generosity of everyone else. That's your business plan. So you have no compunction about thinking your friends who you do not stay in touch with owe you anything. So if you just speed dial them 10 years later, you can ask the biggest of favors, you can ask for huge donations, you can ask for them to pull all their nepotistic strings. And then he gets upset with them, he walks off the scene. I'm like, why are you so out of touch with your own child that you don't even know where he wants to go to school? So at the very beginning, the son is driving his parents to the airport. And I thought, now that I've spent five minutes already in Ben Stiller's neurotic, insecure head, I'm very glad that his son is behind the wheel of the car because his father is so busy wallowing. He'd probably drive the car right off the road, well, forgetting his son, who's in the car. His son is driving them to the airport to get practice driving. I'll get, I don't know. I think that son is the best driver in the family. Uh, okay, but kids head drive, on his shoulders. Kids like to drive because they want to get practice. And of course, you know, I mean, I remember doing that when I was young. But look, if you if you interpret it literally, you're going to miss the new one of the implication. It, of course it was overtold, oversold, all of those things, but the minor points were there, you know, that I don't know anyone who's at a retirement moment in time that doesn't look back and say, gosh, if I had done this, then this would, you know, in other words, it doesn't look back. And in the end, he came to the right conclusion that he was really happy with his life and all those other people were falling apart. So I I feel like, you know, a literal interpretation is going to take you there. But I think that there were exaggerated moments to make a point that was a a more profound point than than the slap in the face that he was giving you. But it was really, I mean, there were many laugh out loud moments. Certainly one of them was when he (laughs) said, He decides to mirror his friend who he thinks is having hot sex with two women all the time. And he takes these two girls he's having dinner with. And it's sort of like, okay, I'm going to hook up. I mean, the absurdity of it, you know, I mean, if you took that literally, then you couldn't laugh at the absurdity of how he didn't even know how to walk in the shoes of those around him. I thought it was funny. I I thought it was I was horrified by that moment. Oh, I thought it was hysterical. I was horrified. (laughs) No, because I thought, okay, is he crazy? 
craving, I mean, he's the most materialistic guy in the movie. I'm like, is he craving youth or money or both? Either way, he's Mr. Fake not-for-profit. He doesn't know what he craves. He's trying to figure out whether he should have taken the path that they took. And in trying to figure that out, he exaggerates the coolness of their lives. I mean, who but doesn't look at somebody else's me. life at some point in their life and go, gosh, that seems like it would be a lot easier than the road I took. But he's so out of touch with their lives. Uh, he has no idea what has befallen them. But I thought that scene that you thought was funny was so creepy because oh, here he is. Creepy. He's out to dinner with his son and his son's two college age friends, both of whom are female. And instead of admiring them for their optimism, for their idealism, for their ideas, he has to sexualize it. So now we get this fantasy where they're running down the beach and both women are, you know, hanging all over him, a little menage a trois in the bikinis. And as if that weren't enough, he has to repeat the fantasy where he's competing with his son for these nubile affections in the fantasy when the son in real life doesn't even want to be in this competition. I'm like, you're competing uh, okay. with your son for what purpose? I mean, you can lay out what happened in its literal sense, or you can sort of look at it as cringeworthy comedy. You know, those were cringeworthy moments where because he wasn't in the crowd, he wasn't in the what he considered to be the in crowd, he was exaggerating what it must be like to be in it in an absurd way. I mean, it was not, it was not to be taken literally. It was a fantasy. You know, it's funny because... Fantasy is not necessarily um, totally understandable. I mean, it's just it's just the way it is. But but I thought he acted it beautifully. I think the the dialogue in it was the dialogue between father and son was spectacular. And this kid who plays his son, who I hadn't seen anything. Have you seen him in anything? No, this is the first movie yeah. I saw him in. Yeah, he 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 could have played it where it was ridiculous, but he was so the way a teenager actually is, where they sit there looking at you and you know they're having this conversation in their head. Daddy, you having some kind of nervous breakdown or something? Under pressure. And the fact that his kid looks at him from the bed and says, is there something wrong with you? <laughs> of course there's something. Well, I was looking at Ben's story the I mean, same the way. The way he does it was perfect. And you know, his kindness was perfect in the poignant moments of his son saying, you know, dad, the only one who matters is me because I'm the only one who cares about you. Nobody else cares about you. They care about themselves. I certainly wasn't doubling the list. Oh my gosh. I thought, you know, there were some moments in time that were, were meant to be. It was sort of pointing out some of the obvious that we sometimes forget. I I did not laugh once. And the fact that his character just constantly flip-flopped. So first he embarrasses the son trying to, quote unquote, help him get into Harvard. And then he turns around and tells the son, and by the way, I can't really afford it. This is Harvard. Even geniuses get rejected. We need to do everything we can. I'm about to go at my interview. Do you really need to be jumping all over me right now? You're nuts. I mean, his character, I kept waiting for some kind of growth or some kind of nuance. And then I thought, what movie have I seen recently that did a much better job with this white male privilege? And I thought, you know, it was Beatrice at dinner. Well, it's funny because it was written by the same guy. Exactly. It was written by the same guy. Mike White wrote that as well. Uh, You know, as he, you know, he wrote the good girl He wrote the emoji movie. He, you know, he played Nick in the movie, but I just thought, you know, the very beginning summed it all up. You've described a bunch of them now. Have, uh, they're literally correct in your description of them, but I don't know that that was the point of them. And I think, again, they were exaggerated points to make a point, 
which is every parent lives in fear that their child's expectation is larger than the life they could possibly lead, and they don't want them to be disappointed in any way. And so they they say you say you know people say stupid things. And I, you know, I maybe, I don't know, maybe it was the crowd that was in my theater. The theater was pretty much sold out and we all laughed in the same places. And those were moments that we laughed at. When you say things that you look back and go, how could I possibly have said this to anyone, let alone my child? Like, are you crazy? I, I have to ask Hollister, did you see it in the Hamptons? No, actually I didn't. I saw it in New York City. In an affluent neighborhood? <laughs> You know, I don't think this is about affluence, you know. Um, I think it's totally about affluence. Yeah. The only scene that even brought up a counter-argument was the scene with Shazi Raja, who plays one of the college-aged kids, who just listens to him drone on and on, oh, boo-hoo. And then she says, you know, when I go home to India and there are people starving in the streets in Delhi. You're 50 years old and you still think that the world was made for you. Oh, I'm 47. But that was the only line in the movie, but which is why I, so I craved his script from Beatrice at dinner. Babe. You know, he was put in his place by out of the mouth of a babe. It was perfect. But he didn't really get it. He still tried oh, to justify himself it. after he that totally line. No, it. I really don't think he did. Yeah, I thought he did. I really don't think he yeah. did. Um, I, well, again, I think that, you know, it's clearly touched a button. I'm not sure what the button was, but clearly touched a button. But for me, I took it much more tongue in cheek. And I took it as exaggerated moments to make smaller but poignant points. And in that case, I, I think it was, you know, it was just beautifully done, really beautifully done. To me, I am so curious to see what the international take will be on this film because I think it will not travel well at all. I think people around the world are going to watch this and just be so puzzled at what his angst is supposed to be about. Uh, you know, I, I understood his angst. And not only did I understand his angst, I, um, I I felt that Ben Stiller was actually a character that I could have empathy for. I didn't think he was, uh, I thought he was likable. I thought he was likable in his honesty of his, of his absurdity. And, you know, um, I, you know, I just, I just thought it was really, really well done that way, really. And I thought his wife, by the way, was the perfect foil for his angst where she had none. And, and also when it was like, oh my God, what are we going to do? He missed his heart, his appointment. And then she's like, well, you can call your friend so-and-so, you know, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing. I wish Jenna Fisher from The Office had been in it more because there are so many scenes where it's just over the phone. I was like, well, at least bring these actors well, it together. Would been, it would have been interesting if he had brought her along. She couldn't quote make the trip, but, um, but it would have been interesting if he had brought her along. I think absolutely. Um, but even at the very beginning, when he's talking about her parents' two point two million dollar house and how that, you know they was, should really inherit it, but that was an exaggerated point. It wasn't to be taken. But the early, whole I don't movie think. was yeah. like this. It was just well, he, you know, it, there's a scene where they're the in, the, in the bed and he's worried about paying for college, and he's like, well, and he says that he's sure that the two of them are going to die in a flop house. And he says, what will her moneyed parents do with their assets, you know, after they die? And then she says, well, maybe they're going to give it all to charity. And he says, really? That's mean. 
<laughs> I just could not stop laughing. I mean, the entire yeah, everyone was laughing. It the you know, it's the kind of conversation that no one would ever have. It's just so exaggerated. And she's rolling her eyes, going, "Please go to sleep. I can't stay awake and think about this anymore." It it was not you know I I did not take it from the literal sense. I took it from the figurative sense, and I thought it had great lessons. I really did. You know, I liked that scene. I did. Uh-huh. The beginning actually had some promise for me, but the fact that she's already delivered the message of the movie where, you know, your life is not so bad, get over it. And then, you know, an hour later, the college student says, your life is not so bad, get over it. There's no arc to the story. Yeah. He wallows the whole time. He shows no growth. Oh, I, I and the whole he, time hitting his friends growth. up for favors uh, and if money. If he showed no growth, why did he walk out on his friend when his friend was being a jackass? I thought but he showed tremendous that, Even that bothered me. I'm like, okay, so you assume that none of your friends have worked to get to where they got to. You've asked a huge favor of him. The friend comes through on not one but two fronts, meets him for dinner, even though he knows the guy's going to hit him up for either another favor or another donation. And then he's still so jealous he thinks he's being Mr. Nice yeah. Guy. And I thought, just because you're Mr. Not-for-profit guy doesn't no, but the make guy you sat Mr. Down nice and Guy. Said, Where are you staying? You know, the guy was insulting to him right from the get-go. He sat down and said, you know, he said, this table's not good enough. I'm going to move our table. He then went on to say, what hotel are you staying at? I don't know anybody who's ever stayed there. Ben Stiller didn't want that table either. We're fully booked tonight. How about that one? It's not available. Oh, looks like it's available. Yeah. It's not. The other thing is he shows great joy. You know, when he takes his son's hand when they're at the when they're at the when he's crying during the amazing um, concert that he ended up at instead of the terrible dinner, that's a moment in time that says, I get it. I get where I'm supposed to be and I get why it's important to be here. I thought there were great moments of joy in it and also connection between he and Troy and um uh, it's it just, you know, I think it, I thought it was really, really, you know, really I well done. Know. And the orchestra where he arrives and he thinks, okay, I will spend time with my son because I don't want to spend time with the guy who's more famous than me and getting more attention than me and more That's female not why he didn't attention want to stay than with me. That guy. It wasn't because he was one more of the reasons. It was bothering him greatly. Because the man was putting him down in a, in a very. The man wasn't really putting him down as badly as he took oh, it I as he I, has I, had I, for all these years. He absolutely was. You know, By the way, that man being Michael Sheen, back from home again. Yeah. But even when Ben Stiller shows up to the orchestra and, you know, he says to his son, those are the two girls from last night. <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, uh, we know this. Your son knows this. They're his friends. Like, why why that line? It was another, I don't know, weakness I thought script. the reason he said that was, oh, my God. You know, these two amazing women we had dinner with who were you know, thinking about important issues of the world are now standing before us ready to play to a sold-out crowd. I thought it was actually a way of saying, um, oh, my God, look at this. Look at how amazing this life we're living is with amazing, talented, fabulous people. I took it totally differently. It'd be interesting to see how how our listeners take it. I hope somebody does go and watch the movie and tell us what you think because... Clearly, we come from two very different perspectives. But see, that scene, it would have been a moment for me, maybe, if that's not where he fantasized about them in the bikinis running off to his son. Um, 
Okay, well, we know what you think, that none of there's not one redeeming feature from this film, apparently. And, you know, I went and I was hoping to rehabilitate my feelings towards Ben Stiller from the Nantucket Film Festival many, many years ago. He was part of a panel on comedy, and there were two questions left. They took a lot of questions from the audience. The next to last question was a very young boy who went up to the microphone and he said, I have a question for Mr. Stiller. And Ben Stiller said, you can call me Ben. And he said, um, okay, why is it that you always play the same character? <laughs> and Ben Stiller, to his credit, said, you can call me Mr. Stiller, which I thought was very funny. And, you know, everybody laughed. But the very last question of that panel was a woman who stood up and said, you know, I feel the need to comment on the fact that not one of the panelists is a woman. The moderator's not a woman. She said, so just out of curiosity, all of you men on the panel, could you just go around and name one female comedian you admire? Uh. Okay, Hollister, if you wanted to see a master class on reaction shot for, you know, blank look, <laughs> it would have been these guys on the panel. Ben Stiller couldn't think of anyone. His parents are sitting in the front row, Ann Mara and Jerry Stiller. And I'm thinking, your mother was a professional <laughs> comedian and she doesn't pop to your mind. So when I saw the trailer, I thought, okay, I should give this movie a shot. You know, I expected there to be a little bit more soul, but I don't know. I'm going to have to wait for the next Ben Stiller movie. Yeah, I thought it had plenty of soul. I thought it had tons of soul. And I really related to many aspects of it in a way that um, was reflective. You know, I, I you know, uh, as I said, I was anxious to the whole thing. And so was my friend. We both came out dripping with exhaustion. And we're like, we have to go have pasta or something with carbs in it, you know. <laughs> and then we talked about, uh, you know, how meaningful the movie was and how we could relate to certain parts of it. I, I just, I think if you take every single scene so literally, it's going to be hard to, to understand the nuance of it, in my opinion. But I do think that Ben Stiller, you know, like it, like the movie or not, he was very good in it. His timing was perfect. His delivery was perfect. And it was a tough delivery. There were some awkward moments that he had to, to make awkward. And uh, the dialogue didn't do it alone. And I thought he did a really, really good job of it. Troy! You have 10 minutes. I just got to put on my clothes. You got like the body of a man now. Hey, Dad, can you not be weird? Okay. Can you close my door? Yeah. Can you close the door? So yeah. you go, Ben. I think you uh, I think you should leave the silly stuff to other people who are not as good actors as you. And did you notice who was a producer on this movie? <laughs> yes, you're Brad Pitt. What mm-hmm. what is he not producing is the question. I know he's a busy what guy. What is he not producing? Exactly. I, I I was I thought, oh my gosh. Now by the way, I'm gonna hashtag this. I'm gonna end with we have to hashtag it cringeworthy comedy is what I'm gonna hashtag it. Because you do cringe during some of the comedic moments because they're so difficult, but they are funny. And I think they did a good job. So yes, so you go, Ben, and please, people, go see this film and let us know your point of view, if anybody could relate to to either one of our points of view. But when there's dissent, it means there's something being done. You know, if some people see the movie one way and others see it exactly opposite, we have to take that into consideration, right? And extra credit if you've also seen Mike White's Beatrice at Dinner. But yes, let us know, screenthoughts at gmail.com. Exactly. Now, our um, list of six this week was uh, requested by the fabulous Lalu. Uh, And do you want to do an intro? I loved this suggestion. She said she was inspired by our discussion last week about the movie Misery, that neither of us have seen the complete (laughs) film. 
And she said, you know, this would be a good list of six subjects is movies people would be surprised to learn we haven't seen. After all, we are movie enthusiasts. So you want to lead it off? Okay, well, my first one, Lalu went on to mention two that she has never seen, and I've never seen them either. So I thought I was just going to, I just lumped them together because they both came courtesy of Lalu, but they're Jaws and The Godfather. Wait, is that going as two or one? Well, I, I feel like I'm just cheating off of Lalu's paper, so I'm just going to... You can't make two one. Yes, Lalu's oh, list. Oh, my God. I'm you, subsuming her totally list. You're totally cheating. <laughs> if you're going to sneak comedy into cringeworthy, <laughs> I think I should get I to sneak Godfather into Jaws. I think it's a perfect comedy. See, I, I'd be happy with just cringeworthy. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, okay, I'm going to start with The Matrix. Oh, okay. Did you see it? I walked out of it. Oh, well, I'm glad I didn't see it. I have read the whole screenplay. Yeah, I mean, it's so many people have seen it. So many people have talked about it. It's the kind of movie you would think I would like. I don't know why I never went. I think I hated the trailer so much that it was like, I'm not going to this, which is totally absurd, because why would I possibly make a decision based on a trailer? But there you have it. You know, I'm not sure I would just assume that you would like it. It's it's pretty sci-fi-ish. Yeah. Um, anyway, I didn't see it. So what's your next one? Okay, I'm going to just put down any Quentin Tarantino movie. Oh, yeah. all right. So one, can you name a couple of them that you people would have thought you'd seen? Any of them. I mean, I'm familiar with the dances and, you know, I do like Uma Thurman, who was his muse for so long. But, you know, I know so many people just revere him as a film director and it's just not my genre. Mm-hmm. It's either too violent or too brutal or too something. My next film is Casablanca. You've never seen it? Really? The way you're saying it is the way everyone says it, which is, you know, are you crazy? How could you not have seen it? I've never seen it. And somehow over time, as I thought, oh, I should see that. Oh, I should see that. Oh, I should see that. Oh, I'm never going to see that because it's almost like it's so built up in my mind now that I'm afraid if I saw it and didn't love it as much as I think I should love it, then I would be a mess. So I never saw it. Wow. Well, I think it's a pretty safe bet. I don't think you're going to hate it. Sam, I thought I told you never to play. But maybe, is it a point right. of pride? I think everybody seen thinks it? I would have seen it because everybody's seen it, right? Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen it. Okay. <laughs> but, and yet you're such, you seem to see so I, many things I, about I, World exactly. War II. I mean, it does, well, the, the, the point of the list of six was movies people would have thought I'd seen that I hadn't. So that's why I outed myself as having never seen it. No, it's a good one. Okay. I mean, All you right, know, good. in I case get, you ever I play, I never, for you being, should keep it. For being honest about never having seen it, right? Absolutely. Okay. Yep. Okay, what are you going to end with? Okay, my last one, I know that in film schools, this is often considered one of the best movies of all time, and I just figured it would have a deleterious effect on my brain, but it's 2001, A Space oh my God, Odyssey. that's mine. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, we're well, going to end start... with the same one. That's so funny. Maybe I should let you keep it, no, and then no, I can no. take we Jaws can and Godfather. Now, and... now, by the way, why didn't you see it? Well, I was invited to a New Year's party where 2001 was being rung in, and so the hosts of the party were playing the movie, and I thought, oh, that's very clever, right, to play 2001 to usher in the year. I sat through that first scene. I don't know if you've ever seen it with the apes which were actually played by men in ape costumes <laughs> where they crash the skull and they hurl the bone as that bone is going slow-mo through the sky. A friend and I just looked at each other and we got up and we went to look for the buffet. <laughs> I was like, I, I can't, I can't do this movie. I know, crazy, right? Uh, you know, but I uh-huh. never saw it either. And I, it was funny. I don't know why I didn't see it, but I, 
I felt like there was no plot or dialogue or, I don't know, it just seemed like I would be sitting there watching a space odyssey for a couple of hours with nothing around it. I don't know, didn't, didn't want to see it. That's a very good description. Yeah. Yes. yes. And yet, if I were actually in space, I wouldn't feel gravity. <laughs> this, it was like floating around with the pull of okay, gravity. Now, since you started out with two, I'm also going to say that I also had in contention The Shining. Would you have thought I would, would have seen The Shining? I would have bet on The Shining more than The Matrix. Huh. Okay, well, there you go. I thought people would think I'd seen The Shining because it's so Hannibal Lecter-ish, mm-hmm. but I haven't. So there you go. So there's lots wow. of movies I haven't seen, but what movies have you guys not seen that you think you should have seen or would have seen or could have seen or what have you? Let us know. Okay. Talk to you all next week. 